This is Monstras. Welcome to another episode of Monstras. Today we are doing a review of the recently released movie La Llorona. I know, I'm really excited and I feel like recently we've done a lot of reviews and I think that's just because we've been quarantined <laughs> and we've been watching a lot of shit. I haven't been <laughs> able to But there also to seems leave. to be a lot of stuff coming out. Yeah, I haven't been able to leave my house, so. <laughs> <laughs> this is the only way we survive, yep. we watch shit. And this isn't. Shit, I mean stuff, not shit like in bad. <laughs> this is actually good. Because this is really good. Yeah. And I think, uh, so mo- like most of the reviews, we'll do a spoiler alert. There's spoilers um, in our review. So if you haven't watched the movie, be warned. Uh, but definitely people need to watch the movie like ASAP. Yes. Um, and so for today, we'll do a quick overview of what the movie is about and then we'll give like a historical and cultural context of Guatemala because uh, that's where the movie is set and all that. And then we'll finally talk about our favorite parts of the movie. Yes. And another note, um, I'll put in the show notes the time code to where we uh, just do a non-spoiler kind of review at the end. Okay. And so just so everyone knows... Uh, you can forward and just listen to our very quick, it's going to be short, but our very quick opinions. And then you can probably, you know, watch the movie and and listen to the rest of the episode. So however way you want it, you know, whatever sexy way you want it, you can do it. (laughs) Any way you want it. (laughs) Who sings that song? Is that Rush? Any way you want it. No, I also think. I'm not going to start singing. Yeah, I also think it's Burger King. (laughs) (laughs) It's what? Huh? He said you think it's what? It's Burger King. Oh, I'm like almost 100% <laughs> sure it's Burger King. <laughs> yeah. No, but there's a song that's like any way you that's want it. That's the way you need it. Anyway. Yeah, I know, only yeah. know that song from The Simpsons. Okay. <laughs> so that's the only context uh-huh. I have. But anyways, <laughs> let's get into okay. this synopsis. So... Like, what is this movie about? Oh, wait. <laughs> We didn't even introduce what? ourselves. I totally forgot. Oh, shit. I think we're so excited to talk about this movie that we didn't even... Also, by this point, people should know us, but yeah. okay. We should introduce ourselves. We should introduce ourselves. ourselves. You know, so my name is Brenda Salguero, and with me today is... My name is Orquidia Morales. Yeah, there you go. Okay. And, yeah. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> <laughs> so... The movie we'll be talking about is La Llorona, uh, which was released in 2019. And we've done another review of a Llorona movie, The Curse of La Llorona. This is very different. Very, different. <laughs> very, very, very different. Um, this one's really good, as opposed to that one. <laughs> um, <laughs> this one uh, was directed by Guatemalan filmmaker Jairo Bustamante. Um, Jairo Bustamante and Lisandro Sanchez wrote the script. And the story, um, Bustamante has also directed two other critically acclaimed and award-winning films. Um, the first one is Ishkanul, which is kind of like a coming-of-age story. Um, 
of like an, an Mayan indigenous woman in Guatemala and Tremors, which I think is like a political drama. Great. And did he, is he uh, indigenous Mayan? I don't think so. He's Guatemalan. He's Guatemalan, but, but he might not be indigenous. Okay. Yeah. So just, just out of curiosity. So in the U.S., the distribution of this movie was picked up by online horror streaming service Shudder. Our favorite, right? Our fave. So. I know. Maybe we'll get a discount. <laughs> hey, Shudder. Shudder. Hey. Come on. Uh, so here's the summary for the movie uh, uh, based on the, sh- on the Shudder summary. So anyways. So, indignant retired General Enrique finally faces trial for the genocidal massacre of thousands of Mayans decades ago. As a horde of angry protesters threatens to invade their opulent home, the woman of the house, his haughty wife, conflicted daughter, and precocious granddaughter, weigh their responsibility to shield the erratic, senile Enrique against the devastating truths being publicly revealed and the increasing sense that a wrathful, supernatural force is targeting them for his crimes. Meanwhile, much of his family's domestic staff flees, leaving only one loyal housekeeper, Valeriana, leaving only one loyal housekeeper, Valeriana, until a mysterious young indigenous maid named Alma arrives oh it's such a good it's movie. so good it's so good like okay so first we'll talk about the historical context and we'll talk about la llorona a little bit uh but really Enri- it, it's like the relationship between enrique and alma and at the heart or soul i thought it was really funny when i came up with this <laughs> the soul of the movie because alma's name is soul, soul. Uh, yes, <laughs> is the history of genocide against indigenous peoples in Guatemala. So it's this really, the horror in the movie is really layered. It's a fear of the ghost, right? But also the fear of judgment, the fear of this history coming back and holding people accountable. And in an interview with Carlos Aguirre, um, the director, Jairo Bustamante, explains why he chose La Llorona, which was a question that I had, like, why go with the myth of La Llorona? to express this history of genocide and trauma. This is kind of a long quote from that interview, but I thought it was really cool. So Bustamante says, quote, I, util- I utilize La Llorona as an avenger. This allowed me to remove the misogynist aspect of the folktale, which described it as a woman who cries for a man. In our version, La Llorona cries for, some- for something much more relevant than a man. She cries for the suffering of an entire people. We transform La Llorona into a sort of Mother Earth who cries for her missing children. Similarly, we use the horror genre to talk about genocide from the perspective of the genocidal dictator and interpret his house as the house of the devil. Normally, we know the stories of the victims, but we don't know how the devil lives inside his home, how he apologizes for what he did, how he tries to keep his heroic facade. Both of these aspects help me justify the use of the genre. I also wanted to talk about the desolation of the of our indigenous peoples because even today our own country doesn't want to accept something as terrible as the genocide committed and doesn't want to look for solutions. When that's the reality you're facing, what can you hold on to? You hold on to magical realism, you hold on to deities, you hold on to ghosts, you hold on to otherworldly things that can help you survive. 
that's why once La Llorona came to us, everyone came together and we could dedicate ourselves to creating. So I just, I love the way they use La Llorona to, again, talk about this really painful history and bring a light to it and, and used her. And I, I think other people have done this, used La Llorona as a way to cry out against these larger injustices. So it's not just one person, but she comes to represent marginalized communities. She comes to represent the pain of women specifically. And in Guatemala, there's a lot of pain to go around. Yes, there's, there's a lot of pain. And so on the other side, we have this devil, as Bustamante calls him, the general, Enrique, who is obvious, the obvious villain in the movie. He was tried for his crimes against the people of Guatemala for genocide. He was found guilty, but then he was later overturned, or that was later overturned. The general is not so loosely based on General Efrian Rios Montt. He was the army general uh, and politician who ruled Guatemala as the leader of a military junta and as a dictator from 1982 to 1983. In 2012, General Rios Montt was found responsible as commander-in-chief for his crimes, similar to what we see in the movie. And the court... Uh, her descriptions by survivors about the army's destruction of Mayan lands and communities. And again, just like in the movie, he was initially found guilty and he was sentenced to 80 years in prison, but that was later overturned by Guatemala's constitutional court. Yeah, so it's like the, the parallels are definitely, it's like, it's very like biographical in that sense. Like that's, very similar um and uh general rios Montt wasn't the first shithead dictator in of guatemala course. he was preceded <laughs> of course <laughs> unfortunately he was preceded by uh general fernando romeo lucas garcia so general lucas garcia was elected in quotes right like it was a rigged election and uh, he was elected in 1978 and was responsible for an average allegedly responsible uh, for an average of 200 murders and disappearances a month during the four years he held power. Most of the attacks of General Lucas Garcia and his army were aimed at rural bases of leftist guerrilla organizations. So it was a lot of like um, the wealthy city against the rural and the rural came to represent the indigenous folks. So both generals, Mont and Garcia, um, claimed to be fighting communism and use this as an excuse to slaughter and destroy Mayan communities in Guatemala. Uh, General Efrain Rios Montt continued the attacks against indigenous Mayan communities uh, and anyone that opposed his government, so it was just a horrible dictatorship. If we go further back, we can trace Guatemala's instability in military leadership to dun dun dun, the yeah, U.S. Of course. <laughs> I was just waiting for it. I was like, okay, Let's trace it back. Oh, it's the U.S.? Not surprised. Yeah, I mean, and it's Central America. Latin America is really fucked up, has been fucked over by the U.S. multiple ways over and over again. But uh, Central America has definitely had a rough time. Yeah, I know that from experience. <laughs> <laughs> so the the right-wing death squads in these countries like Guatemala provided the um, 
had weapons provided by the U.S., right? So the U.S. saw Central America in danger of falling to communism. And also, you know, the U.S. had a lot of uh, financial interest in this region. So those two things kind of uh, came together. And this was during the Cold War. So both Reagan and Bush administrations and administrations before then um, saw it as an ideological battle, battleground. Um, so I we highly recommend the book Harvest of Empire. There's also a documentary by Juan Gonzalez. So he talks about, I think we've used this book before, I can't remember, but he talks about Latin Americans' relationship to the U.S. and how the U.S. has influenced migration patterns, obviously, and why the Latin, Latin Latino, Latina community looks the way it does in the U.S., right? Because of the U.S. involvement in Latin America. Of course, and it's one of the reasons why my family migrated in the first place and came over as refugees is because my father was almost killed twice. Oh, my God. Yeah, he was almost murdered twice. So he was like, man, I got to get the fuck out of here. So, so... That's a good reason to leave. Yeah, he didn't want to leave. He was like, I don't want to leave this country because he loved being where he was but he just had no choice so it was either that or be killed and that's a lot of what we see today is that same instability and part of it is from gangs that were exported from the U.S. to these already unstable places that were so it's just like it's just like a punch after punch after punch you know like it's crazy yeah Exactly. Like there's no moment for these uh, countries to to get their footing um, and to find like their own kind of way to lead. And if they do, the U.S. interferes as. (laughs) And that's what we're going to see now. So uh, in the book, Gonzalez talks about the CIA sponsored coup in Guatemala in 1954 that overthrew a democratically elected president and destabilized the country. So. in 1945, we had Juan Jose Aravelo, who was elected as president, and he pushed for land reform. He established social security programs, rural education programs, uh, recognized labor rights, offered loans to small farmers, so was trying to make a lot of good changes. And this caused problems for the upper class in Guatemala, for the U.S., and specifically for the United Fruit Company that owned a shit ton of land um, there. So by that point, by the early mid-40s, um, the UFC, uh, United Fruit Company, um, owned more than a million acres of banana fields in Central America, and uh, according to Gonzalez, quote, had a bigger annual budget than any nation in the region. Its fleet of 85 ships carried most of the region's outside trade, and it owned 1,400 miles of rail. And this is a corporation that had all this control over the region. Uh, and it was one of the biggest employers in Guatemala. So it had a monopoly and complete control of the region. And so the policies that Aravelo was implementing were really bad for business. And then uh, when Aravelo's term, term ended in 1951, Jacobo Arvins was elected president and he continued the land reform uh, and repatriating land and taking land away from UFC. Uh, and that pissed people off. So the U.S. jumped in. It was then that President Eisenhower authorized the CIA's Operation Success, which was a success in a a bad way. It armed a coup against Aravelo, Advance, I mean, 
uh, and then the military rule outlawed 500, over 500 trade unions, uh, returned more than 1.5 million acres to the United Fruit Company, and created, like, tried to revert to the the control of the United Fruit Company. But by the 60s, empire, inspired in part by the Cuban Revolution and a bunch of other stuff, uh, a lot of the young Guatemalans uh, were starting to organize and push back. And this is when we see um, a lot of the persecution by people like Rios Mont and Lucas Garcia. So uh, Gonzalez writes, quote, the dead and disappeared reached 75,000 by 1985, which is when we start to see this mass uh, migration from Central America to the U.S. by the 80s. Uh, another 150,000, most of them Indians, had fled by then into Mexico. So I think this gets us into back to the movie with that context and to think about the, the main monster, which is General Enrique Bustamante and, and our thoughts about the movie. Yeah, I think that that's a great little tiny uh, look into the horrifying history. It's a very succinct look. <laughs> Yeah, because I mean, there's there's a, a lot more to say, but but that's uh, it's good context to understand the movie. Yeah. I think so. Let's get into our favorite moments, uh, and our, also I wanted to kind of go over the characters. So, who are the characters in this movie and their names, so people have a understanding of who we're referencing. So the characters include uh, who we already spoke to, spoke about, Enrique Bustamante, who's the general who was found guilty of genocide. Uh, Carmen, who is his elderly wife, uh, Natalia, Carmen and Enrique's daughter. So she's kind of like an older, she's like in her 40s or something, right? It looks like it. Yeah, like maybe 30s, 30s, yeah. 40s. Uh, and so you have Sara, who is uh, Natalia's daughter, who's like maybe 10, 11, around there. Something yeah. like that. I'm bad with ages, the kids' yeah, ages. Yeah, I... Once you get to our age, it's like, who cares? Who knows? <laughs> they're they're kids. Their kid is a child. So uh, Valeriana, who is the head housekeeper, who's lived in the house for 27 years and is maybe Natalia's half-sister. We can talk about that. Yeah. And then Letona, who is the bodyguard, and Alma, who is the new housekeeper who shows up one day out of nowhere. Really, kind of. So cool. So cool. So such a great character. So, of course, I had several moments that I enjoyed in this movie. But to simplify things, I made a top five list of moments. I'll start with my first one, number one. Uh, this starts off kind of early. This scene happens early in the movie. It's basically, I'll describe it. So when, it's basically when the Mayan Ixil woman, whose face is covered in a veil... Uh, is testifying. That's one of my favorite scenes. It's a it's a beautiful scene because it kind of concentrates on on her face, on her veiled face, and it's this kind of interesting contrast, right? So the beauty of the green veil um, that's covering her face uh, has also like gold embroidery at the bottom, and it's it's gorgeous, which then contrasts with the horrific testimony of genocide and rape that she tells, which is incredibly chilling to see this beautiful thing contrasted with this, these horrific things that she's saying. She has a really quiet fortitude that really got me. 
Um, and the cinematography of the the scene is really great because it concentrates on her face and then slowly as her testimony goes on, starts to kind of reveal the background and it slowly pulls back and you see the entire courtroom full of people and reporters, which is absolutely stunning. So that was actually, um, one of my, one of my top favorite scenes in that movie. The next scene that I really enjoyed. Beautiful. Oh, what was that? I just said it's freaking beautiful. Like that scene is just, yeah. It's gorgeous. (laughs) And I'm guessing those veils are mourning veils. I think so. I tried to look them up. I couldn't find any information on it, uh, on the veils themselves. But I mean, when women cover their faces, it's usually like to go to church or mourning or um, some some sort of like respect thing. Um, But I think part of it too is like, She's testifying about these horrible things, and when women are raped, they usually feel shame, right? So she's hiding her face from that shame, but then there's a moment where she takes off the veil, and she's like, it's a way of saying, this isn't my fault. I'm speaking out. I'm not staying quiet. Exactly. You know, someone else. And and it it was also that she was almost whispering all of her testimony. She was just very calm, very, you know, that, again, that quiet fortitude. It was just very powerful. A very powerful scene. So the second favorite scene, of course, is when Enrique... So after he's been uh, found guilty, and then I think he's then found also, like, the guilty verdict is overturned or something, he's heading home in an ambulance because he's a sick old man. All that evil makes you sick, you know? That's what happens. So... So much I roll. <laughs> also, he smokes, like, what it looks like six packs a day. He smokes and drinks all the time. I'm like, dude, no wonder you're on a freaking respirator. I mean, one, you're evil and your body's full of horrible evilness. But yeah. Yeah. It's just like it doesn't he doesn't care. So yeah, this scene is when Enrique, um, after, you know, the overturning and everything, they're headed home in the back of an ambulance. And as they're arriving home, they face a crap ton of protesters who are outside you know, banging on the, on the ambulance, um, angry, of course, with, with justified anger. And so it's basically, they have to get through this crowd of people and protests. And as soon as they throw open the doors of the ambulance, someone throws animal blood at them. And I was just like, damn right. And so, (laughs) and then they have to like traverse (laughs) this protest and there's, um, riot gear police you know on either side of Enrique as they're wheeling his his bed his little bed he's such a weakling and so they're wheeling his little bed through the crowd and people are like trying to like grab him I just wanted them to tear him apart it feel it felt like very zombie scene yeah yeah so I was just like it did it like those mobs Yes, yeah. I was just like, oh my god, this looks like a zombie scene where everyone's like trying to tear him apart. And I was like, yes, yes, tear him apart, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but that would have been the easy way out. What ended up happening is much yes. better. So my third favorite scene was is a little bit way later in the movie. And this happens, what, like one third through the movie. So there's a scene where, you know, this is after Alma has kind of settled in. Uh, into the household and Alma and Valeriana are cleaning this mold that has happened to have grown behind Enrique's bed 
And we don't know exactly why, but there's mold there. And so Valeriana, as they're cleaning this mold together, Valeriana turns to Alma and, and asks her, you know, I called the village and they said that you're actually not from that village. They don't know who you are, which is so cool. And so yeah, it just adds another layer of mystery, right, to this whole thing where you're just like, okay, Alma's already acting strange throughout the movie. There's this mysterious quality to everything that she does. And now we realize or where it's revealed that she actually isn't even from that village that Valeriana is from. In fact, no one knows who she is. So she kind of just quietly says that, looks at Valeriana and says, oh, I'm just from deeper in the mountains. That's all she says. (laughs) And you're just like, okay. So that those kind of hints, I just thought, added to the layer of mystery of like, okay, something's not right here. And I loved it. And I think... Valeriana's character is really interesting and we can I think after we do the top our top moments we can talk about her a little bit more but the relationship between Valeriana and Alma is kind of I don't know it's kind of weird and I I wonder how much Valeriana knew about Alma right that this answer didn't throw her off or that she wasn't like you know like when did she figure out what Alma really was yeah This isn't, so number four, so this isn't actually a particular scene, but I just wanted to talk about this really quickly because I love the slow torment of Carmen. (laughs) I really just, the movie really made you hate her as a character. She's so vile. She's such a vile person. She, at one point, what made me hate her the most is she blames indigenous women for being, for their own rapes. Because she yeah. says, oh, well, you know, they all, they're just whores. They're whores. And they just, you know, loved seducing the soldiers. And I was like, yeah. you know. When she was like. Go ahead. No, just like when she was like, they, um, the soldiers don't want to have sex with them. The soldiers want to help them and offer them help. But all they want is to have sex with the soldiers. Makes- who at the end of the day are men so what are they supposed to do it's just like lady i want to shake you so hard i want right to slap that bitch so hard that her bones rattle yeah so yeah which they do in the yeah, movie which- <laughs> she's terrified <laughs> so it's really good to see her comeuppance because the fact that she slowly throughout the film her her looks and her uh, you know demeanor kind of deteriorates and she she gets pink eye which I'm not sure if it has to do with like the evil eye or what, or what to me seemed like her slow possession. Yeah. You know, so that leads me into number five, my final favorite scene, which is the ending. I loved, I loved how everything culminated. Everything that was being hinted and was kind of being given to you piece by piece all culminated into this beautiful, delicious cake at the end that you could just <laughs> um, nom, 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 eat. So, <laughs> delicious cake of horror. Yes, delicious cake of horror. So, the ending. So, the ending is what happens is we see Carmen, and throughout the, the, 
kind of movie, we see that Carmen has these nightmares every night where we gradually see hints, pieces, pieces of the full story of the horrible things that, um, you know, she's going through kind of these horrible things that are obviously clearly what happened to the indigenous women that were killed in the genocide that uh, Enrique committed, essentially. And so he's going through all these memories. And slowly but surely, it's revealed that these are Alma's memories. So it turns out, the big reveal at the end is it turns out Enrique actually drowned Alma's two children in the river because she would not reveal where the guerrilla fighters were. But the issue was she couldn't even understand what he was saying because a lot of these indigenous communities don't speak Spanish. They only speak their native language. And so, yeah. you know, this is where the culmination of like La Llorona story, like she, her children are being drowned by this man. She gets shot in the head and dies. And here is Carmen living that memory, reliving that memory. To the point where she just gets so angry that she starts choking Enrique in the dream, which then we pan back and we see that she's actually choking Enrique in real life. Um, yeah. it was beautiful. Beautiful, poetic justice, honestly. And it was so funny because the other family members just kind of let her. Yeah. So it was like the, it was Valeriana, the, the daughter, what's the daughter's name? Sara. Um, Sara, no, the oh Natalia, ma, Natalia and Sara. So these women are just standing against the wall, like holding each other, staring at her murder the, this old man. It's and it was amazing. It's so funny. <laughs> I like kind of laughed because like, they were horrible people. But yeah, they're all horrible. Like I, I'm glad that they all watched yeah. this, you know, man be choked to death by his own wife. And so, and what uh, the other thing that struck me about that scene is that right before that happens, we see all these spirits kind of stand, these people standing in their yard, uh, which they think are protesters at first, but they're really just staring at them. And slowly, as you keep panning back to them, they're closer and closer and closer to the house, which is fucking terrifying. And, what struck me is Valeriana, who is indigenous, who has these traditions, who understands, you know, kind of these supernatural elements. She has them all holding hands and chanting. And she's chanting, please leave us alone. We are innocent. We did nothing wrong to the ghosts. But that's exactly mirroring what the Mayan Ichil woman said at the beginning during her testimony. She was like, we are innocent. We weren't guerrilla fighters. We were not doing anything. We were just living our lives in the in the rural area of Guatemala. And the soldiers mm. just came in, raped and murdered us and murdered children. Yeah. So that part made me so mad because I'm like, you don't deserve our sympathy. It made me so mad because yeah. you, it was just, it was perfect. It was, it was like a book ending um, moment there that I loved. Yeah. And well, and I think like, I, and I, that's why I like Valeriana too, because she does 
she's just so in between and I I can't imagine how painful that must be especially if she is his daughter right like maybe never knowing that or guessing at that but right she is indigenous and she must see the pain of the indigenous families especially if she lost her mom and yet being so and ingrained in her that she owes this family her life right so she's in between and that that that, that's just so painful right like living and serving the people that have cost you this pain and yet still loving them yeah it's just crazy valeriana was a very interesting character to me she was very interesting i also didn't understand or maybe I did, but it was an interesting contrast also to all the wait staff or all the all the staff, the domestic staff in the house were all indigenous people, which is common, mm-hmm. you know, you um, yeah. in in Central America and Latin America countries. That's kind of how it is, unfortunately. But I mean, first of all, she stayed behind. She was the only staff person who stayed behind. And second of all, it was this weird relationship where. Yes, he committed genocide against these very people who are in his home helping him, dressing him, you know, and, and they were like, well, we can't do this all ourselves. Like, they were like, yeah. that's why they called Alma. They were like, oh, we need another person to help us because we can't. They literally need these people at the same time that they're trying to destroy them. Yeah, in the way they rationalize them. So for for me, Carmen, and and I that's one of my, like, type, top I did a top four list, not top five, but one of the, the things that I like. So I guess, yeah, just I get, get into, into my the list. list and... Let's get into your list. Okay. <laughs> so uh, we had like a few similar moments or themes that we liked. Um, so the first one, I totally agree. The scene where the women are testifying is just powerful, beautiful, painful, all of the feelings all at once, which is um, amazing filmmaking, really. And I think you're right, like, there's so much silence in the film that, or or so many quiet moments where other things, like, the visual becomes louder in some ways. Um, So there's a scene where it's, like, so quiet except for her whisper, her voice, like, draws us in. We're just paying, she is, like, what we're paying attention to. Like, she is no longer, like, silent, right? she's the center. So we hear her. Yeah. And we believe her, like, we believe her and she just is so obviously honest and so we hear her and we hear the translator and then as the camera pans out and we start to see more and more people you start to hear more of like the people shifting in their chairs or people gasping when she says certain things or people complaining when they disagree with her and again we kind of develop this relationship with with her and with the people that are listening to her testimony too. Like we also viscerally relate to her. Um, And the scene has a a cameo by Rigoberta Menchu, which did you notice notice that? that. I I did not notice that at all. I saw her and I was just like, is that Rigoberta Menchu? That would be freaking awesome. But I was like, no. So I had to look it up and yeah, that was, Rigoberta Manchu, who, if people don't know, she's a Nobel Prize winning human rights activist that has consistently spoken out about her experience in Guatemala, right? She's a native woman, she's Mayan, and she talks about witnessing the genocide and violence against indigenous peoples, 
Uh, she has a, a Greek book, all this sort of stuff. So she she was there sitting next to this woman, to the right of the woman that's testifying. So as the camera pans out, we start to see her next to her. And it's just, I think that makes it, again, that line between how the horror, right, is that this is real, right? That this actually yeah. happened. So that line is so blurred. And that's what's painful and terrifying. And then I agree with you, Carmen, uh, General Enrique's wife is a really interesting character and I want to see her suffer mm-hmm. and die mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, like dead so like she begins the movie and she's so prim and proper the movie actually opens with her words right talking about voices and stuff it's just like her praying so it's like this repetition again of murmurs and voices and she's like well groomed perfectly dressed like what do you imagine with like pearls like her hair done up right and her hair's done up most of the time and then slowly as she starts to unravel we see how long her hair is which mirrors uh alma's long black hair godman's is really long gray hair so we start to see them come together and she starts to lose control over her body like she wets the bed one time from from fear right like she when she's having this nightmare of running away from the army and carrying her two children, she notices that there's water between her legs. And I think that's also kind of a reference to giving birth, yeah. right? La Llorona is known because she's a mother, right? So kind of these two things coming together. And then the the eyes, the pink eye, for me was also a reference to La Llorona, right? Like tears. She, her, instead of Alma, who's crying, a, a righteous kind of indignation and pain she is creating blood because she created blood like she perpetuated it she allowed it to happen so we have these two so they're like mirror images in in really cool ways that's cool i didn't i didn't even actually think about it that way so i was just like damn bitch clean your eyes like <laughs> <laughs> i mean that too <laughs> But she becomes, um, and I think this is like one of the good things about horror, right? And that they use the horror genre is that horror is a genre that tortures people's bodies to kind of make us either love that person more, feel for them, engage with them, or be repulsed by them, right? So her insides that were already so poisonous became how we saw her on the outside, right? Like she became... Disgusting. Yeah, I mean, look at all the administration. Like Trump looks disgusting on the outside, and as disgusting <laughs> as he is on the inside. So is Kelly, Kelly yeah. and Conway, or whatever her name is, Skeletor, as I like to call her. So I mean, they, these people look evil, and you're evil. When you're evil, you look fucking evil. Yeah. So I think if we start to see Melania tears or start to get pink eye, we know why. <laughs> If she can open her eyes, that bitch has had so many facelifts. She can't even open her eyes. She's squinting. She's always constantly squinting. They got rid of her tear ducts and everything. (laughs) She's had her tear ducts removed. (laughs) (laughs) They're not even... The tear ducts have been pulled back so far. They're actually like on the corners of her eyes now instead of at the... (laughs) So she starts sweating out of the corners of her eyes. Well, no, she's crying. (laughs) Her forehead starts sweating. <laughs> but yeah, like... <laughs> Horrible. 
<laughs> Anyways, keep going. <laughs> I just like I I hate I hate 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 Carmen. Like she just keeps referring to the indigenous and um like the the people protesting as animals, savages, all these horrible things. And for me, like it's the two of them that work hand in hand. You have Enrique, who's like the military, the face, right? He's the face of the government, but she's behind it. Like she's perpetuating it in in like the the cultural sense, right? Not the leadership. So if we think about like folklore and how it's how it's uh, these oral histories handed out by women usually, right? Like the idea is that women instill the culture in the family. That's what she's doing. So she, that's why I was so upset that she didn't die at the end. Like if we if this system is gonna fall, it has to be both. It has to be the general and it has to be these cultural horrible beliefs exactly so and she they both have and to she die. represents that white woman the white woman she basically i mean she is technically a white woman but yeah she represents the white woman uh side of it the the one who the melania the ivankas you know exactly that's who she represents is these exactly. women who defend these men who commit horrible crimes even though their hands are technically clean it's really their silence and their their silence again um not protesting those those crimes and their amplification and ignorance or 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 basically propaganda that they actually really do yeah which continues till the end of the movie right because at the end of the movie you're right there has it's like this cathartic scene where she's killing enrique and you're like yes that's what needed to happen. But then you have the funeral. And he still gets military honors. They, The family is all there. Valeriana, Sara, Natalia, and Carmen. Dressed in black. Prim and proper. So they continue the myth anyway. Yeah. The idea that they're... That, that nothing bad happened. Yeah. And that he's And that he's just pissed me off. Died a hero, technically. Even though... I like how no one admitted that he... <laughs> Carmen killed him. I'm sure nobody I know. knows. I know. I think what's his name? The the guard, Latona or whatever. I'm sure he knew. He was probably had to go in and pry her off of him. Well, Latona actually kind of disappears but, because we see him walk away with the children. And we, yeah. I, I thought he died. I thought they killed him. I thought so too, but I don't know. I don't think they I don't did. Think so. Yeah, I don't. I don't think so. I was hope. I was kind of low key hoping they would, but. Yeah, and technically the ghost didn't kill anybody, or these apparitions didn't kill anybody. That's true. The only person—it was all humans that killed people. That's true. Um, so the other thing is not a scene, but the use of water, fabric, and sound. So, like, kind of reading these three things together was really like I can't explain it quite well yet, but I know there's something there. Um, so. Like all these three things together, I think are what made the mu- the movie so so beautiful. And uh, Bustamante had talked about limitations in shooting because they had a small budget, and he said that they couldn't shoot extra scenes or they couldn't sh- do a lot of reshoots. So it was very like uh, that's why it was like so cut back in some ways, and that's why they used sound. He said to create a lot of the atmosphere. So I think these things work really well together so for like fabric the veils the curtains the clothing like the white dress that alma wears that's like really flowy um right 
and then the sounds of the protesters but also the sound of the water and the sounds that like sometimes it sounded like you were you were underwater and that's how you heard the sounds so the way they played with that like the the veiling the hiding of certain sounds so there were softness in the in the curtains and the veils that hit intimate moments or like there was the moment where alma and sara are behind a curtain and we can see them and hear them but it's like really soft whispers and they're they're having an intimate moment their connection um but then it becomes it comes like in really the sound comes in waves from the outside so sometimes we don't hear the protesters and sometimes it just builds and builds until it's like super overwhelming so like waves crashing right the chanting just becomes a lot so for me it was the combination of water and the fabric especially curtains and sound that both created a sense of safety but they all and so they like rocked you back and forth like you know like a mom but they also like drowned you and were like really overwhelming i don't know if i'm going too much into this but i I just i feel like there's something there it's great because i think you're totally right i i noticed that was one thing that i noticed is the constant chanting the constant sounds of the protests even as they're like i don't know what natalia was doing at one point she was like meditating or something you know like yes which is the widest thing you could do like the richest thing you could do she's out meditating trying to find her peace yeah well people are like it's so it's like the yeah again it's like the whitest thing you could do and so she's sitting there trying to meditate as these pro like literally you can hear the protesters yelling at them that they're you know genocidal maniacs and so it's it's just it's just crazy it's that contrast and the other thing i noticed was when alma when she comes into the room and uh valeriana is like oh this is where we sleep this is where she cl- she ends up you know they sleep in little bunk beds and Valeriana sleeps on mm. the bottom bunk and Alma sleeps at the top. When she climbs to the top bunk, she makes no sound. Yeah, I thought that was fascinating, and I was like, oh my god! So it gives her, it it gives her like that aura of mystery and also of supernaturalness because she makes no sound. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and it does. I think it's a combination of her hair, definitely the way the sound you is used, and her her outfits, like the the, the traditional indigenous outfits that she wore. It, it looks like she's floating a lot of the time. Like she looks so effortless, but also so terrifying and powerful. That's the word, not terrifying. But she looks so powerful. Like she just there's a weight to her. Yes. But at the same time, she's weightless. Which I have no idea how they did that, but I it, and then yeah. okay. So, anyways, what was your number four? I I guess that gets us to my last one, which is Maria Mercedes Coroy, who was the actress that played Alma, and for me, she made the movie. And it's moments like that, like there's, um, a lot of the things she does are kind of. A little terrifying, but also a little playful and young. So there's a moment where she's sitting in the middle of this large room and we see her through the doorway and her hair is floating forward. Yeah. Yes, remember I that? that so it's just like she's sitting on the floor and her hair is like flowing and she has like really long black hair. And you're like, why is she sitting in the middle of the room? What is, why is her hair doing this? And then as we we turn our we see more of the of the scene 
and it's Sada. So she's playing with Sada. She's doing something playful. So it's something that is like at first kind of terrifying or weird and then it's playful. So a lot of um, Alma's roles is that is, is that like, and I guess that's the magical realism aspect of it too, making things that are everyday seem, have this magical or unreal, real sort of relationship yeah right the the blending of the unreal real and is what we see with are Alma. you going to talk about at some point the magical realism in the movie um no i didn't include it because i'm horrible with magical realism <laughs> i never know how to define it it's hard to define and it is pervasive throughout this entire movie like the magic the line between like magic and supernatural kind of blurs until the very end the very end it really is it becomes supernatural you know but but throughout the entire movie that tension that tension of like what is real what isn't is alma a ghost is alma not a ghost like what is real is held throughout the movie until it breaks at the end and i think it's done wonderfully but anyways that it that starts to get into my final thoughts <laughs> yeah no but yeah that was the last thing on my on my list maria mercedes coroy I, I'm going to watch anything else she's been in, anything else she will be in, I will watch. She did a, a freaking great yeah. job. And if people haven't watched uh, the music video, uh, La Llorona de las Cafetelas, did you get to watch no. it? No, is that the song that plays at the end of the movie? Yeah, so it's performed by Gaby Moreno, who's also Guatemalan, and who did, um, who redid the lyrics. So it's La Llorona with you new lyrics to kind of reflect the Guatemalan experience. So it talks about land. It talks about like violence against children there and all this sort of stuff. It's it's a beautiful song. And the video is about six and a half minutes and it has um, Moroy um, kind of doing the role of La Llorona again. So I highly recommend it. Yeah, I, I we can put it in the show notes and we can post it on social media also for sure. So I'll definitely watch it because I like that song. I was listening to it as the credits went by I was just like wow and then I noticed that the lyrics were completely different yeah and it's um I guess we can go into final thoughts with that like I think we can talk about this movie forever because we could spend like so many so much time on like small details that really like made it so rich um so I guess the question is do we recommend this movie or not for the last review we used um we did a review of what we do in the shadows and we give it uh, the fang system. So two fangs up since it was vampires. <laughs> but for this one, I was like, maybe we can do tears <laughs> since it's La Llorona. The more tears, the better. What do you I think? I think it's great. I think so. Okay. If we use the tier system, I would say for my final thoughts, I would give this movie five tears out of five. It was fantastic. <laughs> five out of yeah. each eye. <laughs> So I highly recommend this movie. It's so good. Again, we could talk about it all day. But to me, I kind of liken the entire movie to... Because the entire movie has this eerie, almost quiet quality to it. Um, Even the color palette is very subdued. uh, Except to emphasize certain characters, you know. Like at the beginning with the testimony in that green veil. Uh, to me, yeah. the entire movie felt like standing in a pool of dark water where the moments of suspense and revelations about Enrique, the, the, Hener- the general, and his family are like something brushing up against your leg underneath that water. 
And then the ending is the culmination of that suspense breaking. Like as if something came out of that water and grabbed you and pulled you beneath the surface. That's what it felt like to me. I fucking love that. Huh? I love that so much. Like that's, yeah. That's That's it, it, right? Thank you. Thank you. I came up with it myself. (laughs) (laughs) That's so accurate. Like it's just, yeah. It's very much like being... It, like, I almost imagine it being in a dark pool at night and just standing there. And that's how that mov- the entire mm-hmm. movie felt. And I loved it. It's a fantastic use of horror to tell a story about a very human monster that did very horrific things to people. And the victims receiving some type of, some type of vindication at the end. That's what I loved about it. The subtlety of the story was something that I also really appreciated there were a few kind of fake outs like we were talking about earlier, but you know, it was that the fake outs were more like the weaving of magical realism with reality. Like Mm -hmm. what is reality? What is magical realism? What is supernatural? What isn't? And it just, it all worked out to keep kind of keep you at the edge of your seat. Like what is going to happen? What, what's the reveal? And overall, I just love a good justice and revenge story. Because to me, if you do monstrous things, you deserve to be haunted and tormented by monsters. You really do. And I feel like that's that's the best kind of revenge. Like, you having to live with these monsters that you have created, right? And we've, we've talked about the, the, the different type of monsters. Like, the, the monstrous monsters like Enrique and the monsters... Monster, the monsters that are more like revenge and and kind of like justice having to live with that yes and we as humans want justice like i, I think that it's it's an innate quality that we want a lot of us want certain things to be rectified and to to be balanced you know at least in my life that's how i've been like i want i don't like mm-hmm. seeing people get hurt i think you know but I'm also a vengeful person. <laughs> so I definitely <laughs> would be a vengeful spirit. If I died and was killed in like a horrible way and there and I actually believed in ghosts, I would definitely come back as a vengeful fucking angry ass ghost, you know? Yeah. I think I mean, I totally agree. I give it five out of five tears. It's a freaking amazing movie. It what it does with La Llorona is beautiful. Like, this is, I feel like La Llorona movie we've been waiting for, honestly. It's just so well done. Um, I am interested to see how people talk about it in relation to other horror movies. So, of course, with the the, the use of hair and water, I thought about The Grudge. Oh. I thought about Juan, right? So kind of maybe thinking about it in connection to that, but also just thinking about all the other Latin American horror films that are coming out, Um because of this history of genocide and mass disappearances and all this sort of stuff. There's a, I watched a Argentinian movie. I'm forgetting the name that that was also about that. Like this, the, the disappeared coming back and asking for justice, asking for light, right. Asking it to be heard. Yeah. Um, so this was La Llorona was a, a great uh, movie. And I, I like, I love your description of it because it does it. There's so much stillness, but there's also so much movement in the film and and that creates such a beautiful sense of suspense and i 
didn't know when the ending was going to come. Which is weird. Like, you usually can tell when the movie's starting to wrap up. And for me, it was kind of like, oh, all of a sudden we're at the end. And it was perfect and it worked. But I, I, it was, I, part of me felt like I didn't want it to end. I wanted to spend more time with Alma. I wanted to (laughs) see what she was up to. I'm like, girl. Yeah. And I just, I loved. And at the end. I also loved the hints at the end where, no spoilers here, but essentially at one point, this other general starts hearing crying. And you know yeah. that the that the cycle has begun begun anew. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. I, I love the idea that Alma's job is unfortunately continuing. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, fortunately, like it would be nice for her to rest, yeah. <laughs> as her spirit to rest. But you know, people are shit. So there's work to do. <laughs> This work to do. So, <laughs> so that's I think that's our take on La Llorona. Yeah, I think that's basically it. Uh, before this gets too long, I just wanted to say <laughs> thanks everyone for listening to us. If you want to continue supporting us, please leave us a review. Just let us know what you think. And if you have any monstrous creatures or legends you want us to cover, let us know. Also, please hit subscribe. Uh, and you can also follow us on social media. We are at uh, Monstras Podcast. On Twitter, we are also at monstraspodcast uh, at gmail.com if you want to email us. And on top of that, we have a website, monstraspodcast.com. So <laughs> basically everything is monstras. <laughs> Just Google it. <laughs> As it should be. As it should be. It's also this movie has, t- has taught us one thing. Oh, uh, what? If this movie has taught us one thing is that all things should be monstras. Yes, exactly. So I just, I just really like this movie, so I'm glad... I'm glad we were able to, I'm glad you suggested it because I, I did not hear about it. Um, and so I'm, I was really excited to kind of watch it and, and yeah, I liked it a lot. So do not regret it. It is a very good, what is it like an hour and something minutes? It's an hour and a half. Yeah. A little over Perfect. That. It just goes by yeah, so fast. It's a perfect, it's such a great movie. Perfect timing. So yeah, if you have Shudder, go watch yeah. it. It's fantastic. Um, but yeah, that's basically. If you don't have Shutter, get Shutter. <laughs> and Shutter, Shutter sponsors us. Should sponsor us. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> but anyways, thank you so much, everyone, uh, and have a good day. And don't let La Llorona get you. Yeah, don't be shitty and, and get La Llorona. That's true. Don't be shitty. If you if you're a shitty person, La Llorona is gonna come and get you. That's right. <laughs> All right. Bye. <laughs> bye.